five, four, three, two, one. I'm John Miglosh for the WDMA. We're going to be talking about package inserts a bit today. And I think that's a channel that is un underutilized for the most part. And so let's get over to the news. But first, let's talk to Andrew Ettinger about customer loyalty. What all industries have lost focus on is that an existing client is worth 10 times more than a new client. So the people who balk and say, well, I don't need to mail to my existing clients or I don't need to follow up with them because they know who I am. No, they don't know who you are. They're not going to remember you. 75% of your business will come from your existing clients. So the people who say, well, I don't want to spend any money direct mail or any other medium towards my existing clients because I already own them. That's not it. The whole end game is not new clients. It's keeping the clients that you have. If someone able to have seven to 10,000 clients and keep them and they don't drop off after two years and they stay consistent and they use your service the second time. That's the end game right there. You don't even need to advertise. You just need to get your existing client base. So the whole goal is to build a client base that's loyal to you, that remembers you, that you don't have to bid against because they've used your service again, that you're not going up against five other people, that they listen to your recommendations. That's the whole goal here. It's a path of least resistance and the path that people seem to want to spend what all it is. Okay, so we'll go over here to the uh, PDF land, and here's the article. Here's his word for word what he had to say. I'll put that up in the show notes. Every day I put the show notes up, if there are any. <laughs> if I do an interview, usually there aren't any, so don't go looking for them. But <clears throat> all you have to do is go to wdma.org, and you can subscribe there for free. And we don't really, I mean, we send out email every now and then. Once in a blue moon, if we're doing a meetup, which we are next Tuesday, uh, February 28th, 3 p.m. Central Standard Time. And uh, we've got, oh, man, I don't know. We've got about 14 people registered right now. So we got a good group. Uh, we don't need you to come, but you'll learn a lot and you might meet some folks that, uh, you know, you can connect with for business. And we always have a great time. So I encourage you to get over to WDMA.org and register. Uh, I did send out an email to, you know, anybody who's subscribed or whatever. Um, so you may have that in your inbox. I'll probably send out at least another one or two um, before Tuesday just to, so people make sure they have the Zoom links and stuff. But... Um, but we don't beat you up, that's for sure. Okay, so so Andrew basically is saying, hey, look, whether you like it or not, most of your business comes from existing customers. And, you know, when you're, when you're out there buying clicks, a lot of times you're paying for those customers, you know, who, who hopefully remember you, but you, you're paying double, right? You're paying double for customers you already have. So it makes sense instead of that to send them something on a regular basis so they really remember you and um andrew services the hvac market and you know big fan of refrigerator magnets big fan of tags on your equipment um so that you know who did the service and you don't have to think about it people don't want to make decisions people don't want to think about it so if you can be in front of them in a gentle way uh you know, then they will remember you, and but they won't otherwise, right? So if all your money goes toward getting new customers, uh, maybe tomorrow I'll do a, I'll do the bathtub model talk again, 
It came from from my friend John Worth, and uh, but he denies it. Well, he doesn't anymore, but he did when I told him I, that's where I got it from. <clears throat> but we'll we'll talk about the bathtub model uh, in terms of your long-term customer sustainable strategy, and it goes along really well with what Andrew has to say here. Um, and what he's saying is is that as a especially as a service business like HVAC, you know, people people are gonna need furnace service, they're gonna need AC service, but they don't need it today, and they don't want to think about it today, right? So, but the idea that you can get them when when they need it, well, when they need it, 30 people are gonna descend on them. That's not when you want to be fighting. You want to be fighting when they don't need it. And you want to be reminding them of the good work you did. Okay? Well done, Andrew. Okay. Um, this is a really thoughtful ar- uh, article by Christina Manos, I believe it is, um, from DigiDay. I don't do DigiDay very often. But anyway, um, Pampers, uh, I believe that's Procter & Gamble, um, has created the Pampers Club. Okay? And, um, Richard, it kind of started funny. Maybe I missed the beginning. But anyway, uh, it doesn't say who Pritchard is. <laughs> you know, sometimes when I, sometimes when I save these articles, a little bit gets clipped off or something. So I'll go back to the original and find out who this person is. But anyway, um, Pritchard is the in-house media team. Uh, for Pampers and says that they've transformed their model by transparently collecting and leveraging, and I'm interested in the leveraging part, first-party data provided by parents, which then creates a one-to-one trusted relationship with parents from pregnancy through every stage of baby development. Is that true? I don't know. My friend Brett Bissell worked on the worked on a a uh, Chrysler project where minivan, we were doing a minivan club, or I, he, you know, we talked about it. He and I talked about it. I didn't get that involved with it. But um, I said, are you sure that it, you know, how do we figure out, if we offer it to everybody, how do we figure out the incremental benefit, right? How do we figure out if if the minivan club actually brings in more money? And that's what one of the agency people down here, um, uh, Eric Bean, VMLY and R's chief analytics and data officer. That's a that's a name for you. Is there ROI for this? Does the that ROI outweigh what you would see without that data? You know, first of all, there's there's the cost of collecting the data. Second, is it does it really leverage? Okay. Is it short or long-term? Do you need it to rush in or do you slow roll your way to a plan? One of the questions, um, you know, consumer packaged goods typically don't have much data on their customers. You know, they may collect some data off couponing. They have you send in. They may have a sweepstakes or something. They may have on-package stuff. They may, you know, put their 800 number. Um, I worked with, with General Housewares that that put their 800 number on the bottom of their fry pans and things. And they were doing a million dollar business, um, a hundred thousand a month, um, just from people calling up and asking 
what else they had. Imagine that, you know. But um, it's not necessarily that easy to leverage. First of all, okay, besides just a name and an email address, brands need to figure out what role they play in a consumer's life. Do they really do they really have something to offer? You know, if you like, like let's say green giant beans, <laughs> I like the French cut. You know, what what would induce me to tell to to reach out to be to green giant other than a bad bag of beans? Why would I tell them what I'm about? Right? What benefit could that get me? Is it going to get me a a better relation a relationship with my grocery store where I get them? Are they different at one grocery store to another? Probably not. There's another problem with Pampers. <clears throat> I did a pretty extensive project with Toys R Us, or sort of against Toys R Us. They, a new a new batch of investors, this was years ago, came in and they said, well, we're going to be data-driven, and we're going to create this big... Uh, this big buyers club and we're going to we're going to track down all of our buyers and uh you know i said i said probably to myself well yeah but mm, what are you going to sell them when they're sick of toys right it's like well what do you mean well i don't want to grow up i'm a toys r us kid yeah but you're going to grow up you know, there was a time when we spent a lot of time in Toys R Us when our kids were little. And we'd go in there and we'd let them run around and play with stuff and kind of, you know, keep an eye on what they what they seemed to like. And then, you know, it would, one, of, one of the parents would go out to the car with the kids and the other parent would, would, you know, stock up for Christmas. But those days were pretty short-lived. So even if you had all of the data, if you had everything about those kids, they don't go, to, you know. They didn't go to keep going to Toys R Us. No, they got on to other things, on to tennis practice and and uh, cross country and high school and video games and whatever. Okay, so there isn't necessarily a great benefit, even to mountains of first party data. You know, Blockbuster Video I talked about last week. Blockbuster Video came to me and said, you know, we have 27 million households and we have all the history, right? And I said, well, how does that help you? You know, what is, what, what's the number one thing that triggers video rental? They said, actually, a blizzard, which we're going to get right now, uh, a blizzard or a hurricane <laughs> or relatives coming to visit. Out of the top 10, you know, there none of them can we buy. <laughs> like half of them we can't buy anyway. Uh, and I said, so what makes you think, you know, you can drive this, you know, that you can really push that? And they said, well, we just think with all that, with all that data, we'd be able to make some money. Well, you know, we went over the break-even analysis, which I showed you last week. And, you know, I just couldn't, I couldn't make it work. The numbers weren't there. So I told them that I would not participate in it. Now, today's world, I might have been able to, knowing what I know now about data and analysis and, you know, machine learning. I might have been able to make something work, but uh, I just declined. And they offered me hundreds of thousands of dollars to figure it out, uh, but I declined. And a couple of years later, I was down in Fort Lauderdale, and I said, you know, you want to have lunch? And we did. And they said, yeah, we pulled the plug this morning. Funny you should call today. Uh, 
and uh, we lost five million. You were absolutely right. So just having a lot of data does not mean you can leverage it. You know, uh, you know, telling a person how great their minivan is doesn't mean they're going to buy the next one from you. Uh, it doesn't hurt, but you know, could you be spending it in a better way? And it's a long time trying to figure this out. So how do we have this conversation with customers to leverage this understanding of what they might be willing to buy in the future? Or will that be of higher margin? And of course, if the consumer sits back in his chair and says, you know, they're just trying to sell me more stuff, like, you know, if you register or subscribe to WDMA, we're really not, you know, we'd love for you to participate in our fight for direct mail. But, you know, does the margin warrant the level of effort? And it's not it's not clear that it does in most cases, I hate to tell you. Even in catalog companies where we have 50,000 SKUs and we know the variety and the categories of stuff that people buy, it doesn't necessarily help. Especially if the catalog is gift-oriented, you know, so the grandparents are buying stuff for their grandkids. They don't care about the stuff. I mean, they, they want the kid to like it. But it doesn't tell you what they're going to buy in the future. It really doesn't. It's very difficult to use first-party data, even at the product transaction level. Very difficult. You know, the drummers buy guitars and the guitars buy, guitars buy drummers. And if you think you can figure this out and you got more than the 500 variables we used, you know, have at it. But if you keep track and you really study it, it's very, very, very difficult. And I'd be happy to talk with you about it. And I won't take your money if I don't think it's going to work. And, uh, you know, the agency says, well, Bean, uh, the agency says, the ones who are doing it well are the ones planning now and have been for the last two years. Okay, we may be able to cut that short if it just doesn't make any sense. I can tell you that. Happy to do it. Or we can have a, a database audit and look at your first-party data that you're capturing now and that you're capable of capturing and see how that can work. Okay? Those clients that, are, that have been having the conversations, even if they aren't acting on it, are going to be in better position than those who've been sitting on the sidelines waiting. I'm not sure that's true. I think find an expert and really talk about it. Okay, here's an article about inserts. Excellent uh, idea right now, and it came up in our secret large mailer roundtable. Um, and so I thought I would talk about that a little bit. Um, although Alyssa doesn't sound too positive. She says, you ever open a package and found tucked away with clothes you don't need, a flyer for yet another product you probably don't need? That's kind of a negative perspective, but of course, you know, anybody who tries to, who tries to do it on a one product basis that they think you're going to really want, uh, it's a tough, it's a tough deal to predict what you're going to really want. Okay. But it, insert media is really, is really finding a cooper, cooperative spot, right? It also, as pointed out in this article, um, Oh, there's Eric Smith is VP of Emerging Media at an offline marketing company called Incremental Media, okay, which is a good name. Um, for years, we used Leon Henry, and he was around for 50 years, and it seems like, you know, I looked on LinkedIn, and it seems like they're still around, although LeonHenry.com did not, uh, is available. So if you if you guys at Leon Henry are, are open to uh, you know, your name, that would be a heck of a good URL. 
Okay, search is more expensive than it used to be. Social isn't converting as well. Tactics like product sampling and direct mail have also experienced growth as of rate. That's another way. A great way to do product sampling is to put a little sample in the box you're already shipping to existing customers, like Andrew says. Okay, you can also uh, inserts can help advertisers reach consumers who are still shopping. Excellent point. Excellent point. I hadn't thought of that one. Excellent. Okay. Um, emerging brands tend to look for affluent, educated consumers. Um, and uh, older, older, I don't know what you'd call this. You know, somebody like Miles Kimball, who sells medical devices to beauty products, might go for somebody older. Uh, they suggest like HelloFresh, Fanatics, Wine Insiders. But if you're looking for an older market, you can do inserts in publications also. I prefer blow-in cards to bind-in, but anyway. Ann, we Ann Wang, who's uh, brand manager, brand senior growth marketing manager, said Magic Spoon started testing inserts about a year ago and has kept spending on them. The CPM for inserts is about $15 to $80 for an average of about 5 or $0.06 cents per piece. And uh, direct mail can cost about $0.50 cents a piece. Yeah, it can cost a lot more than that if it's more than a postcard. Um but you're in there with two to as many as eight advertisers. There's also some co-op opportunities that can cut that down in direct mail and have a similar kind of idea. Um, there are a lot of ways to track. Um, and again, if you want to really, really, you know, cover the waterfront on that, get an old direct marketer and they'll tell you all the ways we used to track <laughs> with a custom phone number, custom URL, uh, magic marker along the side of the piece, uh, a lot of things you can do. Um, and the brands that offer inserts programs tend to have a thorough review process. And sometimes this thing can just be a gang, gangbusters. Um, I was hired by, by Wyndham Hill Records, um, and they were, renting, they were renting mailing lists and mailing out a little catalog. And they were trying to drive traffic to the retailers who were not affiliated, but were selling their stuff. And um, they said, you know, our target is people 35 to 55, men primarily, um, high income, high education. But they said, we rent those lists and we don't get any real results. But we know that some people could just go to the store, to the retailer and buy our stuff. So maybe we do get results. Um, but we don't need to make money, they said. Well, I said, I don't work with people who don't want to make money. So um, I gave them some names of people who they could call, you know, who I had also referred Blockbuster to. And they and they called back about a month later and said, we decided to use you. Uh, I said, do you want to make money? Well, if you think we can, we're willing to try. So anyway, we, you know, I found out that they were they were they were selling about four million CDs a, uh, a year. And uh, I said, you ever think of putting a little card in there? It just says, you know, we have a free catalog. And they said, no, we hadn't. And it didn't, you know, I would have done something simple, but they put all kinds of ruined symbols on it. Anyway, we got, we got uh, 600,000 responses. <laughs> and we got, uh, we got, uh, I'm trying to remember. We got 90,000 orders. It was so profitable, it just changed the company completely, and the owner, the founder, set, sold out to BMG Records and made millions and millions of dollars. 
So, so insert programs can be a winner. Um, and, you know, sometimes it can just be a thank you note. John Worth, uh, who did the bathtub model, uh, tested for six months, tested a thank, just a thank you card to see if it, if it helped the, 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 the recipients buy a little more, like Andrew says. And if you're shipping something, uh, he found that it was at least a 10% lift. And it didn't cost hardly anything to put it in the box. And I can tell you how we tested it over six months, if you'd like to know. It's a very, very clever idea. Anyway, have a great day. Like and share. Your friends will know you're smart. Bye-bye.